pleasure tonight to welcome somebody that I've met several years ago. And as you know, each year for the men's retreat, I go to a family camp in Wisconsin called Northern Pines. And each year I brought you somebody from Northern Pines. I've taken some of the families that I know here to Northern Pines with me. This year I tried a different technique and actually brought the director of Northern Pines to Cape Girardeau. Dean Jaderston is here tonight. He is the head basketball coach at Sterling College in Sterling, Kansas. He flew in here yesterday. Uh, he is going to be an experiment for us. This first year we've actually had three services and we're having a men's retreat with women and children present also. So he's wrapping his message up for us tonight. Um, Dean's got three sons. Like I said, he's the executive director of the family Bible camp. His family, when you see them involved at camp, they're all doing something in the camp. And he normally brings 40 to 60 kids with him from Sterling, Kansas, which the town is how big? 2,500. So he brings a large portion of the town with him to help. So welcome tonight, Dean Jaderston. Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to be with you, and uh, um, it's a pleasure to be in a town with restaurants. Uh, we have a pizza joint that closes about 10 o'clock, and uh, a couple little cafes. My wife is jealous because that's one of the perks whenever we travel for a game or something, is we get to eat someplace other than Gambino's or the local quick shop. So it's, look out my window at the hotel and see Olive Garden is just perfect. We're in good shape. Uh, this last weekend, actually, I was at another type of retreat, um, and uh, it was a men's retreat, and I'm telling you, men, it was the best kind of retreat. Um, it was a work retreat, so basically, here's, here's what you do. You walk in, and they say, okay, this stuff needs to get tore down, then here's a hammer, this stuff needs to get built, we're going to give you lots of good food, and by the way, we don't think you're going to get it all done. So you get a break stuff. You get to build stuff, you eat a lot, and you have a challenge. And, and for men, that's, that's a, a good thing. And, and then because it's all men, uh, un, unlike this weekend, um, shaving's optional, all right? Smells are funny, not bad. And, uh, and uh, we, we can compete in every little thing. Who can rip the most shingles off? Who can hit the most nails? Who gets hurt the worst? Right? For men, if there's competition involved, that's, that's perfect. And so, you know, again, for something like this weekend, tonight's post-service uh, competition may, may be the best part of the weekend for some of us. But that was all men. Here we have a little different dynamic, and yet I was really intrigued when I, when I thought about this weekend and I was talking with James. It's, it's hard to be a man today. I'm not talking about being male. I'm talking about being a man. And I would go further in saying it's getting harder and harder even in the church to be a man. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever read uh, John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, but I think it struck a chord with a lot of men. Because it talks about some needs and desires that we have that somehow aren't always getting met. I, I came across the blog by the name of, a guy by the name of Brian Kaufman. And this is how Brian described his experience in the church today. Brian said this. He said, here's a few things you should know about me as a man. Number one, I'm not a good singer. And I don't feel comfortable hitting the high notes that the modern worship leader with tight jeans and a deep v-neck carries with ease. By the way, Ryan, I'm glad you didn't wear a v-neck tonight. 
because I knew that was the first list on Brian's thing here. Um, number two, I don't like to lift my hands and spin around. Number three, I want to hang out with other guys, but not in an environment where I'm pressured or expected to engage for the sole purpose of connecting and talking about my feelings. Number four, I don't think about beer, sports, girls, sex, and fighting all day long. Five, I just spent a week solving problems, putting out fires, worrying about the next week, stressing about my to-do list, and going down the mental list if I've been a good father, husband, employee, student, etc. I don't want to feel like I'm not good enough because I haven't plugged into the latest men's group, mission trip, or retreat. So that I have difficulty processing someone when they tell me I'm the bride of Christ. Next was words like engage, connect, amazing spiritual growth, Bible study, prayer, circle, feelings, and stand up and say hello to someone around you don't quite have the effect on me that you would hope that would. I don't usually visit your website, Facebook, or follow you on Twitter, so somehow you need to communicate with me some other way. And as last point, I'm exhausted and I don't want to feel judged. The goal this weekend, men, is not to leave this church and feel judged. The goal is not to leave and feel somehow we're less than because we haven't been the spiritual leader. We don't know how to do the things that somebody says we should do. I, I was listening. One of the things that's great today when you're preparing messages, you can go on and find all kinds of podcasts. And I was listening to a sermon by uh, a very popular preacher who was challenging his men, and he kept calling the men idiots. I thought that's the very thing that so many of us have heard over and over again that we don't measure up, that we're not doing it the right way and we leave more discouraged than we start. In my real life, the way I, I call it, I'm a basketball coach. I, uh, um, I work with 18 to 23, 24-year-old men at this formative stage. And I want them to be fierce men. I want them to be strong men. I want them to be assertive. I want them to compete. But more than that, I want them to love Jesus. And I think those two things can go together. That we don't need passive, and I'm even going to use the words nice guys who follow Jesus. We need strong men who follow Jesus and love Jesus. And so that's my passion. That's, that's why I do what I do. And that's what I would like this weekend to be about. How can we be fierce, strong men? How can we be passionate about our Lord and Savior? How can we live a life that makes a difference and still be the way God created us at our core? And that's, that's my hope for my sons. That's my hope for myself. It's a work in process. And that's what I hope and pray for you. So if we could, I'd just like to stop and pray and ask God's blessing on this weekend and look at some battles then that we as men need to fight. Lord, I thank You that You created us male and female. I thank You that there is this masculine heart that beats in us that uh, is part of Your image that You created in us. Lord, I pray for the men here, whether they be young boys, whether they be grandfathers, single, married, divorced, anywhere in, in that spectrum, God, we, we just pray right now that uh, tonight our hearts would be open to your Spirit, that we'd have a sense of your calling on our lives, we'd have a sense of the, the areas in our life where defeat is happening and the victory that can be won. 
Thank You, Jesus, for the victory You've given us by Your death on the cross. And I just pray uh, for Your Spirit tonight to uh, speak loudly to us. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen. I'm, I'm getting older. Um, my kids uh, did all the Adventures and Odyssey stories, and we can kind of trace how old they were from you know, when it was just cassettes, and then it was CDs, and then they stream them on the Internet. Um, I have to go back to when we had record players. And you remember the old record players where you could stick like seven records on, on the thing and they would play one at a time? That was my mom's secret to nap time. You'd put all the records on, and when the records were done, if you'd been bad, you got all seven. If you were good, it was only one or two. But we listened to story records all the time. My favorite record was called Grandpa Whiskers. And the Grandpa Whiskers story wasn't that great, but the rest of the record was all about David's mighty men. And there were these stories about these warriors who would fight and kill giants and, and stand in a field of peas and defeat the Philistines. And, and it, it, something in a young boy, I, I wanted to go get a sword and chop down things and attack people. And, and uh, it just resonated with me. Um, that's, that's how boys are. I have three sons. When my sons played, every stick became a gun or a sword. If you have boys, you know what I'm talking about. Um, they don't just ride bikes. They see how high they can jump them. They see how fast they can go. They see if they can pull somebody on the skateboard down the hill and if the skateboard can beat the bicycle. All right? And again, if you have boys, uh, this may... may Ring a bell with you a little bit. Um, everything becomes a last-second shot. The banana peel in the trash can. There's always a three, two, one, and they see if they can make the basket. Um, for us growing up, us men, um, we love Rocky and Rambo. I would su suggest secretly we all love Chuck Norris before Walker, Texas Ranger. And uh, actually, if we were honest, we've probably watched a few of those episodes more than we admit to anybody. There's, there's something in us about men. And when I would hear these stories about these mighty men, it triggered something to me. One of my favorites was Beniah. If you've got your Bibles, it's a simple passage. Um, and again, when we read this, it's probably going to appeal to our men much more than the women here. That's okay. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, we read about this guy, Beniah. We're not given a lot of details, so we're going to have to use our imagination. But it's a great, great account of, of this man. Starting in verse 22, Benaiah son of Jehoiada was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was seven and a half feet tall. Although Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was famous as the three mighty men. He was held in greater honor than any of the thirty. He was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. I liken this story to look at three battles. And I think in these three battles... We, we see a picture of three battles that we as men, I'm convinced, have to win. Three battles that if we don't fight and fight them fiercely and to the death, they cause tremendous 
damage in our lives, in our families' lives, and the people around us. Um, I believe that, uh, I love the Old Testament. I grew up as a pastor's kid. One of the ways pastor's kids survive is when you're hearing your dad preach about something that is preached about, you look for good stories in the Bible to read. And uh, I remember reading stories like this growing up, and I, I developed this love of the Old Testament. One of the great things about the Old Testament is that when you look at it closely and you understand it, you can see picture after picture of Jesus. You can see picture after picture of life revealed in these stories. And I think we're going to see that today. I'd like to go through these three battles with you, men, and suggest there's three battles, from my perspective, at least three that we all have to fight. Battle number one. It says simply, he struck down two of Moab's best men. Okay, this is like saying... The, the, the way this is interpreted in the New International Version, which I read from, is really bad. It's like saying that uh, Louisville is just the basketball team. So they just won the NCAA. It's, maybe this is a better analogy for those of you here. It's like saying the Mississippi is just a little river. That may make a little bit more sense for you. It says, uh, he struck down two of Moab's best men. If you look at some other translations, it actually comes from a word that nobody knows what it means. In some translations, it says the sons of Ariel. This, this Ariel, they're, they're not sure what it is. Some versions translate it lion-like men of Moab. Some say it's the best, two of the best warriors of Moab. These were the best of the best. And Benaiah took them both on, and, and to the writer of all the things that Benaiah did, this was one of the top three things. Why is this a big deal? Let me give you a little history. If you go back in the story of the Hebrew people, the Moabites came out of the relationship Lot had when his daughters got him drunk and ended up having children uh, from that relationship. So it came out of an incestuous relationship. They lived on the border of Israel and Judea, and they were always, always, always causing problems. The pattern something goes like this. The Moabites would oppose Israel. They, they would attack them. They would, they, would, they would enslave them. God would come and deliver the Moabites. The Israelites would then start worshiping the gods of Moab. And then the Israelites would be enslaved again. And the process would go over and over. You see, these were people who were, were related. They, they, were, they were distant cousins. They, they were connected. They were right there all the time. And any time the Israelites weren't vigilant, they fell into slavery. I would suggest that uh, the first battle we fight against, the Moabites in our life, men, is our flesh. It's always there. It's a part of us. It's, it's sometimes we think we got to defeat it, and then out of the blue it pops up. It's, it's not an outward enemy. It's something inside of us. And for the Moabites, this, this related, connected people, they were always, always, always there. Colossians 3.5, Paul tells us this. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
The problem is, for we as men, we don't want to put that part of us to death. We, we don't want to put that aside. It's, it's comfortable. We've been there. We've lived there. We know how to escape there. And we think instead of putting it to death, we can just tame it. Let me give a, an example I deal with all the time. I, um, Sterling's a Christian college, but I have a, not, a lot of non-believers who come and play on my basketball team. And it's a great opportunity. A number of our guys have come to know the Lord. Here's the pattern that often happens. I get a lot of kids without dads or a lot of kids from the inner city, and there's a lot of resentment and anger and hurt, and that makes them fierce basketball players. They compete, they fight, they play hard, they win. And then God gets a hold of their life. And he starts healing some of those wounds from their past. The problem is, when they played basketball, those wounds, that anger, that hurt fueled what they did. It it drove them. And all of a sudden, they start actually playing worse. And they're frustrated. And, and there's a time where once that's happened, they have to figure out new ways to motivate themselves and new ways to achieve what they want to achieve. And some of them, they don't like that change and they go right back to the anger and the hurt and the despair. Some of you work hard, men, at your job because there's a wound or a hurt in your flesh and you're simply trying to prove something to somebody It's not about the accomplishments. It's not about the money. You're trying to prove something, and and that flesh is pressing you hard. For some of us, it's lust. For some of us, it's greed. We each know those areas where our flesh rears up and gets us, but the reality is for all of us, that flesh is always there. And if we try and fight it just to tame it, We've all heard stories about lion tamers and and tiger tamers and people who have trained these wild animals and everything's good for a while. And then that animal reverts back to its nature and disaster happens. And I would suggest for us as men, that's the pattern we find. That we've got our flesh under control. We've got our our thought life under control. We've got our, our ambition under control. And we think it's all good, but it's there just in case we need it. When we least expect it, it rears up. Romans 8 says this, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I would suggest many men today are dying inside because we've never gone to war against our flesh. We've worked harder at winning our fantasy football league. We've worked harder at our hobby. We've worked harder at our job than we have fighting this battle against this enemy that's so close to us. John Piper put it this way, and I quote him, Until you believe that life is war and that the stakes are your soul, you will probably just play at Christianity with no blood earnestness and no vigilance and no passion and no wartime mindset. If that is where you are at today, your position is precarious. The enemy has lulled you into sleep or into a peacetime mentality as if nothing serious is at stake.
in my observation, one of our challenges today as men is that there are a lot of men in the churches who play at Christianity instead of fight as a Christian. There's a lot of men who play at Christianity instead of fighting as a follower of Jesus. And if we don't go to war against our flesh, if we don't stop treating it like a video game where if we lose, we just hit reset and we play again, one of these times that loss is going to be so devastating we may never recover. Or our children may never recover. Or our wives may never recover. We've got to fight and fight fiercely against our flesh. I'd like to jump out of order and go down to the third battle. Third battle is just listed simply like this, and he struck down an Egyptian who was seven and a half feet tall. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. By the way, side note, if, if you like to read, um, there's a book out called Day of War, which Cliff Graham has written, and it's actually the story of Beniah, and, and he's given a lot of imagination. It's historical fiction, but it brings it to life, and it's like, for guys, it's like reading the movie Gladiator. It's just a guy's book, and uh, I, could, I would strongly recommend it if you, if you want to see some of this history come to life. Uh, and he talks about this event. He, he, he talks about what it would be like and to face this, this Egyptian and, and to go into battle against somebody who had a spear and he only had a club. Again, just like Moab, if you read in the Old Testament, Egypt usually has a very specific... Whenever God uses Egypt in, in a prophecy or, 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 or uh, one of the prophets is talking about what's going to happen or who's going to come, Egypt, there's always a parallel. Egypt is where the Hebrews were delivered out of. Hebrews, or Egypt is where Moses uh, came and, and God pulled him out and, and did all of these miracles. And as soon as things went bad, all the Hebrews wanted to go back to Egypt. They'd forgotten what it was like. And in the Old Testament, Egypt usually is representative of the world. The Bible says we are, we are now strangers in this world. We're aliens in this world. We're in the world, but not, not of it. And I would suggest the second battle we as men have to fight is not against our flesh, but against the world. We, we feel this pull all the time. We, we, we fantasize about becoming rich and powerful and significant. We, we wonder what it would be like to have that lifestyle, to drive that car, to live in that house. We begin to wonder if we're not missing out on something. I think uh, in my discussions with men in our church and at Northern Pines, it's, it's become uh, less and less of a surprise when, when a man says, yeah, I've been thinking about divorce. And one of the intriguing things to me is men who say that are not thinking about getting married to somebody else in particular. But there is this thought that they've played with in their mind, this thought that they've entertained that maybe... Just maybe, it might be better out there with someone somehow than it is right now. 
if I had stayed with my high school sweetheart. Maybe, and I hate this phrase, maybe my soulmate is out there someplace. And I would suggest that that's not a battle against our flesh as much as it is a battle against the world. The draw the world has that, that maybe somehow, someway, things are going to get better. We, we feel that no matter what's happened, we're just like the Hebrews. Oh, this is bad right now. Let me go back. It's not new. Paul had a follower, a, a guy who was working with him. In 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, he says, you know, a Demas, because he loved this world and has, he has deserted me and gone back to Thessalonica. I would suggest that for a lot of us men, there's something out there. If I can just get that promotion, then I'm going to spend more time with my family. But i got to get that promotion first. If, if I can just get out of debt, then I can stop working so hard. If, if, if uh, my, my wife was more romantic like it's supposed to be, then it would be easier to love her. And we have all these things in our mind that the world says this is the way it's supposed to be. And we take our eyes off of Jesus. And instead of fighting fiercely for our family and for our marriage and for our kids, we start to dream about what could have been or what would have been. And I would suggest for a lot of the men who are in midlife crises, I'm, I'm in my late 40s, I think one of the biggest struggles for us in that stage of life is this battle of what the world says life is supposed to be and how we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to accomplish. And us being content and challenged by where God has called us to be. Where He's placed it. One of the sad parts in the ministry that we're in, Northern Pines, we had a number of years ago a number of conferees who unfortunately fell victim in a Ponzi scheme. And the sadder part about that, the man who ran the scheme claimed to be a believer. He was faithful in his church. He did a lot of ministries. He, he supported a lot of ministries. And yet somewhere along the line, his eyes got off Jesus and he loved the circles he was operating in as he got more and more money. He loved rubbing the shoulders with the people who he got to rub shoulders with because of his new status and his new his new lifestyle. His, his wife made the comment when he was caught and they were going to court that uh, her allowance, her allowance of $10,000 a month from the courts was not enough to maintain her lifestyle. The lure of the world was strong. And he was unwilling to fight that battle. 1 John 2.15 John says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Some men here right now, your battlefield is your flesh. For others, the battlefield God's calling you to fight in right now is against the world and its lure and its attraction for you. If you don't stand and fight, again, the consequences are dire. 
the last battle is one line, one, one simple sentence. And in that sentence, my imagination runs wild. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. I, I, this is, I have a devotional about every three years I do a pregame devotional with my team on this story. Because I love to imagine this because it's so, it's, it's so far removed from what I would do. If there's a lion to be killed, um, I gotta tell you, this is kind of funny. Uh, when I was talking through this with my boys, I said, if there's a lion to be killed, I'd get a bazooka. One of my sons said, Dad, what's a bazooka? And I grew up the little green army man, you know, where the guy kneels and always shoots the bazooka that you, you play with as toys. And I was trying to explain, he goes, oh, you mean a missile launcher. So I guess I'm getting further and further out of date. So anyway, I want a long-range weapon if I'm going after a lion, if that, if that makes sense. I, I, I want to stand as far away from possible. I'm actually going to hope somebody else comes and kills the lion. Because it makes no sense to me to go into a pit, into a hole, there's not a whole lot of space, and fight against the lion. Now you add snow into the mix where it's slippery. This is a bad idea. And yet, for some reason, we don't know why, we don't know how, Benaiah had this urgency. The lion's in the pit. It has to be killed. There's nobody around. Okay, I'm going. And not only did he go, he's victorious. This image should be unmistakable for us. Uh, Peter says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Paul puts it like this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As men, we like things simple. We like to have one task. We like to do one thing at a time. Uh, if you're like me, your wife is a much, much better multitasker than, than I am. Um, but we like things simple. And yet I would suggest that life is not as simple as we, we make it. I believe there is a spiritual war going on. And I believe we as men, because we are not prepared to fight in that battle, we, we lose because we don't expect it to be spiritual. We think we're fighting against the economy. We think we're fighting against uh, time. We think we're fighting against what's on television, the movies. It's a deeper battle than that. It's not as simple as that. We are fighting against the devil. We work really hard for our kids. But I know one of my challenges as a dad, do I pray for my kids the way I work for them? We, we work on our marriage, but do we consider that even in our marriages, as good as they might be, there is a spiritual war going on and, and an enemy who's actively trying to defeat us? I think Benaiah's account or Benaiah's attack on the lion gives us a couple of strategies as to how to win this battle as well as the other two. First of all, he doesn't wait, he acts. I'm sure when he went down into that, that pit, he had no idea what was going to happen down there. You can't plan out everything nice and clean, but his first step was to simply act and go into the pit. I, I believe life is messy. I believe faith is messy. I, 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 love, I love the, the, 
the, the guy who says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, please help my unbelief. And for many of us as men, the first step is to decide, okay, I don't know how God, I don't know what to do, but I will do this. I will go into the pit. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to go in and fight. I might get wounded. I might get killed. But God, I'm willing to go into the pit. I like the fact that uh, against the Egyptian, he does the same thing. All he's got is a club. The Egyptian's got the spear. It probably weighed close to 40 pounds. It's a huge man. This is what I got, God. I'm going in. Another great battle. You've got uh, the story of uh, Jonathan when he goes up and across the valley and up the mountain are the Philistines. And he says to his armor bearer, let's, let's go and see if God shows up. Sometimes you just got to step into that fight, step into the pit, and trust. And here's what you trust. 1 Corinthians 15.56 Sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 1 John 5, 4, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. One of the things I think we face today with men is we have become passive. We're content to sit. We're content to wait. We'll act if somebody asks us to, but we don't volunteer and initiate very much anymore. And I believe if you're going to win the fight against your flesh, if you're going to win the fight against your, the world, if you're going to win the fight against the evil one, it doesn't start by sitting down and hoping something's going to happen. It starts by going into the pit and saying, God, I don't know how. I'm just going to trust that the victory is there, but I, I'm going to go. This is all I got. I got a club. He's got the spear. But I'm not going to wait any longer. You see, some of us, some of us have a hard time doing that because we haven't been successful in the past. Some of us think, man, I failed here, I failed here. You know, I, I've tried to be a spiritual leader. I haven't done that. I, I, I've tried to stand up for my faith and I failed miserably. Why, why would I try again? And I'm going to tell you it's because you're just like Beniah. Let me describe Beniah. In 1 Samuel 22, we find out how all these guys came to be with David in the first place. It's one of those random pieces of Scripture it's like, why does God have all this stuff in here? Here's exactly why. In 1 Samuel 22, David left, left Gath, escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him. And then I love this verse. All those who were in distress or debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. Let me read those. In distress, in debt, discontented. I would suggest that describes a large number of men today. In distress. It's not going the way we want. A lot of us are in debt. Or they're simply discontented with life. They went and gathered around David, and he became their leader. 
You see, here again, I'm going to go back. I said a lot of people, a lot of us play at being Christians. Uh, my, my experience with a lot of men, a lot of the guys I coach, they want a Savior. They want a God that they can pray when their mom gets breast cancer. They want, they want somebody who helps them when they get hurt. They want to know that if they die, they're going to go to heaven and not hell. They want a Savior. But most of them do not want a Lord. And we have too many men in our world today, I think, are in that same boat. We want a Savior. We'll take our kids to church. We'll have a faith for our family. We want God to take care of us. But when it comes to Him being our leader and our Lord, we take a step back. The name Benaiah means God builds. And God took this guy who was either in debt, he was in distress, he, he, he was disconnected, or, 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 or he was discontented, and God took him and under David's leadership built him into this mighty warrior who, who defeated these men of Moab, who went into the pit and slew the lion, who stood against this giant from Egypt. But it took having a Lord, a leader, to do that. As we start this weekend, I would challenge each of the men here, whatever age we are, wherever we're at in life, are we playing at being a follower of Jesus? Are we content with just having Jesus as our Savior and and going through life, or are we serious about starting to fight some of these battles? Fight them fiercely and hard. Being willing to be wounded, to be willing to be broken. Because our Lord asks us to fight. But you see, that's only where you'll find victory. If you try and do it on your own, if you try and you do it in your own power, with your own weapons, it's not going to happen. If you're hoping, maybe my, I hope my lust will get under control. I, I, I hope this is going to get better. I, I, I hope that uh, I, I can control my drinking. I think I can. I, I think that this is going to be the last time I, I, I go to the casino. Because I'm going to win and everything's going to get better. I hope my marriage lasts. I could go on and on. I'd suggest you're playing at being a follower of Jesus. But if you're serious about having a Savior and a Lord, man, it's time to fight and fight fiercely. It's time to fight that flesh that's there. It's time to fight that pull of the world. It's time to fight the evil one who wants our kids and our marriages to crumble. There's a promise when we fight that God has already won the victory. We, uh, we use a phrase, I think, in, in church sometimes inaccurately. We say, it's time. I want, you tell our kids, you, know, you give your life or give your heart to Jesus. And it, I understand it and I'm okay with it. But I think if you're going to be a follower, it's more than just giving something, it's declaring allegiance. 
That if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's more than just saying, okay, God, here's my heart. No, He's my leader. He's my Lord. And that's who I'm going to follow. And it's interesting, as I was uh, putting this together, I had no idea Ryan and I met for the first time tonight. Ryan chose as a final song tonight, I Surrender All. A military term. A term when you give up all rights, you give up everything to be placed under the authority of somebody else. If you're ready to fight, if you are ready to go to battle, if you're ready to have a Savior and a Lord, the song becomes an anthem. And as we go through this weekend, I hope it's a time of triumph, a time of victory. But sometimes that comes also with brokenness. Because you get wounded when you fight. And that's okay too. So as Ryan comes, I'd like to pray. And uh, we'll wrap up tonight. As our heads are bowed, I would just encourage men, you to stop a second. I, I learned long ago that I can say a lot of stuff in a locker room and, and the kids never remember what I say. I've learned that the Holy Spirit speaks far louder than any sermon or message. And so in the quietness of your heart, I would ask you to consider First, is there a battle that God is saying, this is the one, this is your battle to fight right now. You've been loyal, you love me, I know, but you've got to slay the flesh. You can't play around with it anymore. Or this pull of the world, this, this lure, this, this thing you've been holding on to, you have to let it go and win that battle. Or it's time to seriously start fighting the evil one in your life and in your family's life. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, but I do think it's important to And for all of us to consider, is Jesus my Savior, just my Savior? Or is He my Lord? Am I willing to follow Him? Or just have Him there when I need Him? And for some of you, if you've never made that decision to make Jesus both your Savior and Lord, know that He's waiting, He's here, and that is the start of victory. And you can meet him and experience that. I'll be around this weekend. would love to talk with you further. But you will not discover victory, I believe, until he is your Lord. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for the victory you've given us. Thank you that we don't go into these battles alone. Thank you that... Uh, you pick us up when we're wounded and we fall. I thank you for someone like Benaiah who was discontented, in debt, distressed, whatever it was. And that's who you chose to build into this mighty warrior. And I pray for the men, whatever age they may be, wherever they're at in life right now, that you would do that same building process. There would be strong, fierce men 
who would fight these battles, who would fight for their families, who would fight for their marriages, who would fight for their communities and towns, who would fight for people who can't fight for themselves. Because they follow you as a Lord. We trust you. We look forward to what you're doing this weekend. We do and say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.